0: And today, I'll be interviewing Dr. James Merlino, who is Chief Experience Officer and Associate Chief of Staff for the Cleveland Clinic. Of course, as most of our subscribers know by now, the Cleveland Clinic is really at the forefront of the whole patient experience movement in the U.S., uh, along with some others, and um, is hosting the Patient Experience uh, Empathy Innovation Summit 2014 in Cleveland, which takes place on May
1: 18th through the 21st. Dr. Merlino, Welcome. Thank you very much, Stuart. It is an honor for me to be here and to continue to have this conversation with you about how we can improve the patient experience. That's terrific. And as we were talking offline before
0: I began the recording, I just think this is such a terrific and important topic, and really, I think it will fundamentally change healthcare. So I'm delighted to do the podcast, and I'm really honored to be speaking at the summit as well in May with you guys. So it's terrific. So I mentioned a moment ago about Cleveland Clinic taking the forefront of patient experience. Um, can you give us a history about, you know, Cleveland Clinic's evolution
1: and how you got to be at the forefront in terms of, you know, improving patient experience? When Dr. Toby Cosgrove, our CEO, took over the clinic in 2004, you know, he, he recognized that we had a problem with patient experience. And it's interesting because we were in the bottom percentile percentiles of how patients kind of ranked us. And what he knew as a leader is that that's inconsistent with our brand. You can't be a top hospital and have your patients walking away saying they don't like you very much. And that's that's what Toby used to say uh, publicly, is, look, patients come to us for quality. They don't like the way we care for them. And his top strategic priority was to change that. And he implemented this patient's first patient experience philosophy, Said that we are going to change, we're going to develop, we are going to become a leader in this, and and today we are, and it's because of Dr. Cosgrove's leadership at the Cleveland Clinic and his willingness to make this a strategic priority and and drive the organization through it.
0: So you know that actually leads to another question. We have some experience with other hospital CEOs, and one of them. Uh, uh, actually, Pomona Valley Hospital Medical Center does a really good job with patient experience. And what we have found is the CEO really was critical. Uh, he had some great people around him, but was really critical to driving that. And that's funny. May, some people may not expect a uh, community hospital to have that kind of outcome, but all their rankings and all the ratings are really, really good. And we asked them about that, and uh, I want to find out from your experience, because obviously we've seen not just Cleveland Clinic, is the CEO really the vital Um, component
1: to making patient experience happen? Absolutely. The CEO is critical, or the president, or whoever the top leader is. If Dr. Cosgrove at Cleveland Clinic didn't own responsibility for this, it would not have changed. And, you know, you can look across the country, and frankly, across the world, where places are doing this well, it's because the top leader drives it. And it's kind of intuitive. I think traditionally, uh, it's something that's relegated to nursing or to operations or some lower-level manager. And it's just unfair because the patient experience touches everything, and everybody in the organization is responsible for it. And the only person, the only individual that has scope to be able to mandate change everywhere is the top person. So, you know, CEO, president, leadership on these topics is absolutely critical. Do you
0: find, then, I would expect that, you know, being exposed to so many people involved with this movement by this point – Uh, you must be finding uh, examples of hospitals where it feels more like lip service because someone says, yeah, we should do this, but nobody's really owning that.
1: Does that happen frequently or infrequently or what? I think it's happening less. I talk to a lot of hospitals around the country, and I interact with different levels of leadership. And the hospitals that are struggling, if you talk to the people that are responsible for this that maybe don't report up to the CEO or – uh you know, don't have the uh the CEO or president's mandate will tell you that there's there is definitely lip service paid to it. And again, I would, you know, point to the organizations that do it well and all of this data is publicly reported. So anybody can find the high performers. If you if you talk to their leaders, uh, they will confirm that it's an initiative that is that is led by the top person. I
0: think it requires that kind of stature and backbone because they're gonna get a lot of pushback, right? I'm assuming in a lot of cases, if you don't have that leader, um, somebody who's just got the job
1: is not going to get the job done, I would expect. Exactly right. And I think that's the other point that's really important is whoever's driving it. You know, the CEO can't be the operational leader behind driving the strategy and tactics. uh, But whoever's driving it has to have close proximity to senior leaders because everybody needs to understand that it's a high-level initiative. And if the person that's driving it doesn't have that type of access, they won't be successful. Okay,
0: that totally makes sense. Um, So how have things changed? You know, what is Cleveland Clinic's experience? How have things changed there over the years since that became, you know, a priority from Dr.
1: Poskoff? What kind of tangible uh, things have you guys seen? Well, I think that, you know, looking at it from an administrator perspective, first of all, the the metrics that we collect have significantly changed. Our reputational scores are well above the 90th percentile. Uh, We score consistently in our peer group. Uh, as leaders among the domains like nurse communication, physician communication. And, And those are important because that's how we lead and manage the organization. But frankly, Stuart, what is really, I think, most rewarding here at Cleveland Clinic is the palpable change from our patients. People talk about how we're different. We get letters about how we are different. And to me, that is the most powerful statement because people feel it. They talk about it. They see it. And, you know, the metrics are important. You have to have them because at the end of the day we're running a business. But when your customer, your patient, articulates to you on a regular basis that it is different and they feel it, that to me is the greatest reward. Um, That's really, really exciting. You know, that's a
0: long way from where things used to be. I mean, I've met thousands of doctors over the years and, you know, staffers, administrators, and people. And uh, there were people who actually explicitly told me things like, You know, my job is to get them better. I don't really care if they like me or not. Um, Whether that was explicitly, you know, whispered to me or almost both or a a subtext, that was the way things have been, and, and certainly at times. Do you feel like that
1: kind of attitude is changing and evolving? Well, they're right. It's not about getting patients to like them, but what they're missing the point on is that patient experience is not about making patients happy. Patient experience is about how we deliver care, and that impacts safety and quality, You know, when you look at the HCAPs questions, which is the Medicare government-mandated inpatient survey, there are nine questions on there about how healthcare providers communicate with patients. Certainly, if this were about happiness, you wouldn't need nine questions to figure it out. But the reality is when nurses communicate better at the bedside, medication errors go down, falls go down, pressure ulcers go down, and those are safety metrics. When physicians communicate better with patients, compliance goes up. When physicians communicate better with nurses, coordination of care goes up. There's no question that when we all communicate better with patients, they're more satisfied. But if you touch processes that impact all three areas, safety, quality, and satisfaction, you drive value and effectiveness. And that's the point. This is about how we deliver care. It is about the experience of care. It's not about whether patients are satisfied. So people that say, I don't want patients to like me or I don't need patients to like me, are missing the point. They don't understand why this is becoming such an important movement. It is about safety, quality, and satisfaction. They are linked. So that, That's exactly what I was going to ask you about. Um, one of the
0: questions I had prepared before the call was, about research correlating patient experience between other factors like cost, efficacy, patient compliance, uh, reputation, and safety. And you're saying all those things are, in fact, absolutely correlated. Am I hearing you correctly? Absolutely, no question. Wow, and that's uh, that's heartening, and it's what I would have expected. And I've talked, you know, I, I teach this stuff. I talk about marketing to you know audiences all the time, and that's the kind of thing that we presume. That i uh, getting that confirmation makes a lot of sense because obviously, from my point of view. When we're hired to, you know, attract new patients, patient experience also helps. Obviously, to generate referrals, to build a reputation, to build the brand, and those kinds of things. Uh, right. How do you expect how do you expect uh, patient experience to evolve over the coming years?
1: I think it's only going to uh, become increasingly important. And I think as more people understand how it relates to what they do in healthcare, that it will get better traction. You know, the other thing that I think is helping it in you know, Cleveland Clinic was fortunate. We kind of started this before it was vogue with government regulation. But what's clearly helping to drive this is the government's appropriate focus on it. You know, they are linking the two most important things that doctors and hospitals care about the most, outside of course, of taking care of patients. And that is public reported metrics with reimbursement. And this is the first time something like this has been done, and it is driving change because people have to pay attention to it. So I think looking forward, it's the right thing to do, and I think there's only going to be increasing traction because we're going to be required to pay closer attention to it. Yeah, again, you're anticipating my questions. One
0: of them was about the driving factors. So reimbursement, really, I mean, it's right to do is certainly at the heart, you know, on everybody's mind. But getting this action, take action, reimbursement certainly can help push that on the higher priority list. And, you know, running a hospital is challenging. Obviously, there's a million priorities. But if reimbursement becomes on the table, clearly, I'm assuming that helps push things along
1: faster. No question. And I think you're seeing this not only from the government side but private payer side as well. You know, they are just as interested in the patient experience metrics as the government is. And so I think increasingly you're going to see more incentives linked around private payers as well. And that's also the right thing to do. So
0: you mentioned a moment ago about the importance of the CEO having a vision and enforcing it, but also somebody to actually carry it out so they're not actually doing the work. So it sounds a lot like what you're doing. What kinds of things have you learned you know, in that highly important role and being at the center of that change? Any any insights our uh, listeners can
1: expect if they decide to take this on seriously? I think you have to recognize that you have to start small, uh, figure out what works in your area or for your organization. And then once you get a success, uh, scale it up. Uh, I don't think that you can tackle the entire experience kind of as a a global problem. You have to really break it down into pieces. At the end of the day, this is about how we uh, bring new processes in, how we align our people around service culture, and how we start to have better conversations with patients. To me, the three P's is the way to really think about executing a strategy. And, again, it's very granular. It has to start at the local level and then scale up. That's
0: really a a terrific insight Um, because I'm assuming it can be pretty overwhelming when you first try to take this on, and it makes sense to take some some bite-sized steps. Um, Tell our listeners about the upcoming summit (laughs) because I want all of our readers to come, all of our, our
1: subscribers. I want all of your members to come as well, and thank you for uh, helping to sponsor it. I think this is gonna be a terrific summit. You know, we have stayed true to our mission, which has been to pay attention to what people think is important in, in helping them to understand how to improve the patient experience. We've also listened very carefully to people who have attended in the past to help define what the agenda is. We are very excited that this is our fifth year. Uh, this is uh, will be the largest in the patient, independent patient experience summit in the world. Uh, we will have a huge international presence. We're expecting well over 1,500 people. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, what makes this summit unique is that when I open it every year, I always say that I am just like you. At the, You know, I am trying to drive improvements in my organization to help patients. And that is what everybody who comes to this summit is really trying to do, is at the end of the day improve their organization for patients as well. So uh, we are very excited about it.
0: You know, what I think is great is is that it shows, it demonstrates a commitment to improving patient experience. And even for those people just getting started, at least they're doing the due diligence, right? They're finding out what other people are doing, which can lead to the goal with no organization yet. That's right. Um, One one final question I have for you. Um, uh, Actually, two quick ones. Uh, Obviously, hospitals are the focus of this. What do you think about private practice doctors? Do these concepts apply as well to private groups
1: and private doctors? I think so. I think we hospitals, uh, academic medical centers can learn a lot from private practice physicians because they've been doing the patient experience pretty well for a long time, you know, when you look at how private practice physicians survive. I mean, they need to drive positive experiences otherwise patients don't come to them. So I think we can learn things from them. I think that also the government pressures on them is increasing as the government tries to apply the same standards that they're applying to hospitals to physicians. So you know they need to take what they're doing, advance it, and uh, you know figure out ways to accommodate as well. That's great. Um, any other parting thoughts before we go? No, I just want to say that um, thank you again for being such a great champion for this cause. You know, it's interesting, Stuart. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter that uh, we are in healthcare or we uh, do something that impacts healthcare. At the end of the day, we're all part of this healthcare ecosystem because someday, if not already, we will all be patients. So it it impacts us all very personally.